Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Before I jump forward into this interview, I guess I'll just uh, share a little bit about what's happening with me most recently. I've been working with a, a coach, not directly, but working through a training plan for the last month and a half, and I feel like it's it's been going well, but it was the end of the second uh, three-week block, so this coming week is a rest week, that I'm really looking forward to. I found uh, this past week really tough, and and you know, it's it's one thing to, to write about it and, you know, send your filling things on training peaks for the coach to read but I guess just kind of vocalizing it kind of puts things into perspective as well so yeah I found this past week really hard but I think there's a lot of combinations for that Uh, Jasmine was teething so she was really making our lives difficult when it came to sleep at nighttime and with a you know massive shortage of baby Tylenol we had a bit but we tried to conserve it and uh, just kind of use other remedies like you know ice chips inside a, a like a mesh tea their feeder thingy or frozen fruits and things like that. So we got through it. Yeah, she seems to be better. I think those teeth are in and now for the next round, whenever that might come. But it made it really hard to train this week. I was uh, I did skip one workout and maybe two if I count the ab workout, which I guess is a workout. And then I had to switch, uh, switch things around this weekend uh, just as I was really, really tired and um, had to you know, is the end of the three week block. So it's like the big adventure and adventure. I did. I took my new fat bike, a panorama cycles, chick shocks. Uh, it's a carbon fiber fat bike. I took it out for a three hour plus ride today and it was wicked fun. I mean, the, the snowpack wasn't there yet. So there was some sections of the trails where it was really rocky and it's a fat bike trail, but it's definitely not ready for fat biking. So that came down to more like technical riding, which I was able to manage and, you know, when in doubt, just roll over the rocks. Yeah. So overall, really, really fun morning on the bike, albeit a little bit cold, even with my winter boots on, I'm going to have to figure something out for that. So if you're a listener and you have advice on how to keep feet warm while fat biking, drop me a message let me know. I'll share it here. But uh, yeah, that's that's a constant. Um, I get cold feet really easily. And I think when you're just pedaling, you're not really moving the toes and you're not moving nearly as much as if you were walking, running, snowshoeing or any other sport, cross country skiing. And so by the end of that three hours, my my left foot, the toes were getting pretty damn cold. And I was like, all right, I'm going to cut it, call it at quits at that point. So I was I was hoping to go for four hours, but you know, 
So on Friday, my wife, wonderful as she is, took the afternoon off so that I could drive to Granby, Quebec, which is kind of um, between Montreal and Sherbrooke for those in the know. It's very close to Broma, which is a big uh, ski and snowboard mountain bike area and uh, the south shore of Quebec. And I went to the uh, Panorama Cycles HQ and uh, met Simon and uh, Jean-Francois, one of his uh, co-workers or employees. And uh, yeah, it was really sweet. We talked bikes. We talked bikepacking. We talked podcasting. We talked bike development. You know, seeing as it was an afternoon when I left, uh, it took about 3. I I think I got there at 3.30. Obviously couldn't stay all day. Had to do. Had to make my way back. Um, Jasmine was in the middle of the teething sessions, and I knew my wife would get upset if it was too too long. So, after about an hour and a half of shooting the shit and uh, having just straight up great conversation, I departed. But I did not depart and empty handed. I departed with the as I just mentioned, Panorama Cycles, Chick Chocks, Fat Bike. I had the bike rack on the roof, but I didn't really want it to get snowed on and dirty. It sounds weird, but, you know, I wanted to get it home first, nice and clean, so I stuck it in the back. I I drive a Volkswagen Golf wagon, so it was cool, had lots of space. And, uh, yeah, so we got headed home, and I'm really impressed with this bike so far. I mean, it's hard for me to say. It's the first time I've ever really, like, really fat biked. Um, I used one once in Yukon before. That was my intro to it. It was a summer ride. Um, Somebody lent it to me. And it was a lot of fun, but uh, this is all different, you know, it's different. It was um, that uh, on Saturday I got out for a good hour ride with my dog and we explored a few little trails and stuff. And then on Sunday today I did a big, big ride, but this probably won't be posted till tomorrow. So yesterday, if you're listening now, tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we had a, I had a great time and uh, so far it's cool. I mean, lots of things to learn. It comes with a dropper post, and I've never really had much experience with dropper posts, so just kind of figuring out when to drop it, how much to drop it, you know, it changes all the dynamics and where the center of gravity is on the bike, so obviously it's something you typically use on downhills, and uh, just trying to get used to it, and it's weird to say that, like, you know, I think that I've ridden everything, and I, you know, but definitely haven't. I'm experiencing new things all the time, and of course, the big, fat, chunky tires of, I think they come with four and a half inch 27.5 27.5 by four and a half inch tires, um, studdable. So they're not studded yet, but um, I will get that done in the next week or two. But yeah, just like big tires and stuff, it's all different. Everything changes, and you know, every everybody that has talked to me has said that it'll put a smile on your face. And I think I smiled for like most of that three hours. And um, you know, I was telling my dad, it's kind of like riding a BMX with really big wheels when you're going downhill and the dropper's down because you're just like sitting back just like kind of brings you back to being like a kid and uh super fun super fun so if you don't have a fat bike i highly recommend you get one and if you want to get a really sweet fat bike you can check out panorama cycles and for now for this winter 2023 if you buy chick chocks while they have stock uh, use the code BTA15 and you'll save 15%, which is a handsome, handsome savings. So check that out. And you know what? You could buy any fat bike you want, really. You know, it's this is a really nice one, carbon fiber and all that. But there's definitely a fat bike out there for everybody on a different budget as well. So, but check it out. You never know.
Maybe it's what you're looking for. No new Patreons this week, so just thought I'd throw that out there. If you are not a subscriber of the, or if you're not a supporter of the podcast through Patreon, I would totally appreciate it if you check it out. And if there's a tier that kind of suits you, that would be awesome. You know, it helps keep everything going, helps put a little bit of money into um, equipment needed, you know, uh, wireless lav I bought recently. I have my microphone, my podcast, roadcaster, um, all this equipment, annual fees, all that stuff. So if you're not a subscriber of Patreon, I highly encourage you to try it out. You know, help me, help me help you. And if not, that's cool. You can also use PayPal if you're looking to do just kind of like a one-time thing, as well as you can share the episodes, do a review, um, or even like, especially over social media, you can just kind of share it on your website. If there's an episode you really liked, an interview you like, share it away. Anyways, other than that, I will, I think, just jump forward into this episode. So guys, I hope you like this episode and uh, keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bikepacker, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I have a chance to connect with Lovisa Tilgren. Lovisa's story is really cool in that while in the midst of a backpacking trip in Central America, she decided to get a bike and start pedaling. After a bunch of crazy adventures riding south, she had to put a stop to her adventure when COVID shut the world down. Back in Sweden, she got a job in the bike industry and built up a new rig so that she could adventure with a more reliable bike and see more of the world. From cycling Europe in winter to taking on the headwinds of the Canadian plains, Lovisa and I catch up while she's in Panama City. Lovisa, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And uh, thank you for letting me be on the show. Oh, I'm super happy to have somebody else, uh, somebody new, somebody different. Um, so why don't you, why don't we just start with you telling us about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? All that fun stuff. Sure. Um, so my name is Luisa. And I'm from Sweden. I'm a 23-year-old girl from Gothenburg in Sweden. Um, and I guess, well, after high school, me and if I'm going to give the backstory. Sure, go for it. Um, yeah, me and a friend of mine, we backpacked in Southeast Asia. And I ended up really enjoying it. So after that, uh, I just went for Central America alone. Nice. And I... I really enjoyed it, but I thought, well, a part of me thought, why am I like so far away from home mm-hmm. and only meeting German people? Because <laughs> uh, that's mostly backpackers. Yeah. And um, so I, well, I backpacked from Mexico to Guatemala 
But then in Guatemala, I bought a bicycle uh, secondhand and then just from there started cycling south. And this was in the beginning of 2020. So I cycled from Guatemala through El Salvador, uh, Honduras into Nicaragua. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So I went home and the, the be- like the trip itself was kind of messy. I sold my backpack. I strapped a couple of like the clothes I did have uh, to the bicycle and then just started cycling. Um, but I really enjoyed it. So when I went home after COVID, I thought, okay, it would have been fun to go so much further. So let me let me jump in. You are from Sweden, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking you're. I believe you're from Gothenburg or Gothenburg, but I'm not 100 yeah. sure. You are. Yeah. Okay. I used to live in Hesleholm uh, in South Sweden, so for a year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I was teaching uh, at the International Engelska Skolan there, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good fun. How did you like it? I loved it. It was. Uh, Sweden was amazing. Um, very, di- I mean, similar, a lot of similarities with Canada, but then lots of differences. Um, you know, little things like, oh, if we're going to get into like, <laughs> could go on. But Swedens in Sweden tend to be very like uh, business, you know, they don't, they don't, Swedes yeah. don't do small talk. But when you guys travel and you're at a, you know, bar or the beach, you guys talk all the time. So it's quite different, the, the difference in Swedes in Sweden versus yeah. traveling Swedes. Um, yeah, but I loved it. I just loved, loved, loved Southern Sweden. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, and I got your name wrong, right? It's not Luvisa. It's Luisa. Yeah. Um, well, when, when I travel, I present myself as Luisa. Okay. Gotcha. It just works better. Yeah. But it is in Swedish. It's Luvisa. Luvisa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I had a, I don't think there's a connection with the name Luve, right? Like, cause I had a student named Luve before, um, I thought maybe it sounds I, like the male version of Louisa, Lovisa, but I'm not sure. I think we might have the same um, base or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. Okay, so when yeah. you were, um, yeah, so you you started and it was just a pretty random trip in Guatemala. I want to talk about that a bit more because it sounds pretty yeah. epic. Um, yeah. you were like a year two years out of uh out of i guess gymnasium right uh or yeah i guess kind of I don't, it's hard to compare it to north american education but it's like this period between university and high school so it's like a college type thing right yeah yeah and it's um like after you're 18 when we finish gymnasium. Yeah. yeah yeah so and um and so you just got a random bike was it a good bike what kind of bike did you get um, I, it was not a good bicycle. I kind of just, cause I didn't know anything about bicycles either. Yeah. So I just found something online. Um, the bicycle itself was way too big for me. Okay. And it ended up, I think it was like the rim at the inside of the wheel was kind of dry. And so the, the wheel like punctured itself, so to say. Okay. Um, so I would cycle, get so many punctures, and didn't understand why. Um, so it was it was very messy, but okay. it was a 
yeah, a tough experience from the beginning, but it was also fun. Did the bike have a name? Like, you piece of shit? Or <laughs> kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I Actually, when, when I went home from that trip, I went through the U.S. I had to fly through Florida. Okay. And there I uh, cycled around. And this was during COVID, so... Like, no one was out on the street. I felt like I was the only person in Florida, basically. And I met one guy there who wanted to buy the bicycle. Oh. So I thought, that's perfect for me, because I don't want this piece of shit home. (laughs) And so he was like, oh, well, how much do you want for it? And I said, okay, $300. I'm sure he will try to bargain it down. And... And he just took out cash and handed me 400 for no reason. Um, nice. So good profit. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. And yeah. um, what was it like to to bike tour through uh, Central America, having no previous experience bike touring? And uh, what were your, your you know daily experiences like? I mean, other than a tire going flat all the time. Um. It was difficult because it was, well, culturally very different. And I don't speak very good Spanish. So, and also just the areas you go to as a tourist can be very different from the areas you see when you bike tour. Um, So it was a lot of poverty and a lot of feeling like an alien kind of because and it's sad to divide it that way but often I would be the only white person in the whole town Mm -hmm. and as a woman especially I would get a lot of attention Uh, but it would also boost my confidence because I thought okay if I can do if I can travel through these countries that Mm -hmm. in media have a very bad reputation um, then I can go far did you have any like really negative experiences? Uh, I'm assuming probably nothing too crazy because otherwise you wouldn't maybe have continued bike touring later. But um, any experiences that I don't know, um, I guess negative. Um, I experienced a lot of. If I'm going to be completely honest, I sure. experienced a lot of catcalling. Okay. Um, and I'm not very used to that, and it feels. It was difficult because I was, well, it it might not sound very bad, but and it is only verbal. It doesn't feel scary in any way. But when you're completely alone and the only people who are communicating towards you are doing mm. so by, like, sexually harassing you, yeah, that would get very frustrating pretty quick. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I'm not a woman, so I can't, relate to the experience in the same way uh at all but i'm i'm assuming too is from what i've heard is you can't give it attention you have to just kind of keep your focus and go and do your thing otherwise if you give them attention that's what they want they want the attention right so yeah Yeah. then it escalates so it's got to be really tough so i think it's also something that most like if you travel alone as a woman most people have a very positive mindset because if you do focus on those negative aspects, you will 
only remember the trip as something bad. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, you kind of have to just look forward and, uh, yeah, in words. And, um, yeah, so communication, it must have been challenging, um, especially in the small towns. Like you said, they don't speak any English or definitely not Swedish. Um, <laughs> and if your Spanish is pretty broken, it gets really hard. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also think now I'm doing the trip in a different way because then I would stay in a lot of hotels mm-hmm. um, because I didn't have a tent with me. And I think also because just the cycling bit was new to me, it felt scary. Like everything felt mm-hmm. scary. And now I'm having a pretty different experience traveling through the same countries. Oh, cool. Where I'm being met with a lot of generosity and uh, yeah, a lot of kindness as yeah, well. That's awesome. Especially from women. Yeah. Nice. Especially from women, you said? Yeah, I find that a lot of women meet me and kind of treat me as their daughter. Oh, that's cool. Which is just wonderful. I, I ask if I can just camp in someone's garden and uh, they let me in. I, I've been having tamales with people and tacos and it's been a really wonderful experience. Yeah, I feel that a lot of ice can be like you can easily break the ice by asking somebody to sleep in their yard. It's a safe place. And then quite often people, you know, will be generous and invite you into the house. And if you want a shower or ba- bath or you want food or, you know, and probably sleep in the house just as often as not on a couch or an extra room. Who knows? Right. So there's there's that yeah. everything just by asking and opening that conversation in the first place. It changes everything. Yeah. yeah. And when I've cycled like 100 kilometers during a day. And then being met with well, anything that is a shower or just a safe place to stay. Like a smile. You, even. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and communicating through Spanish, but also just a lot of gestures and charades. I think that is half my language skills nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very appreciated. Yeah, that's true. Um, so let's jump a little bit forward. You went back to Sweden, of course, because of COVID, and mm-hmm. you built yourself a sweet ass bike. Tell us about yes. your bike, <laughs> and you made your own dress. Yeah. I saw the Instagram post, so uh, you can tell us about the bike and the dress if you like. <laughs> yeah, I don't bike in the dress. Uh, it would look cool though, I think. Uh, and they're both green, so maybe I would, you know, match the forest or something. Um, but the the, bis- the bicycle itself is actually a Canadian brand. Uh, it's a Kona touring bicycle. Ah. Uh, the, I was I was going for a Surly, but it was difficult to get anything during COVID. Yeah, so I supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found the Kona one, and it's really good. So I built it together. At uh, I worked at a bicycle as a bicycle engineer. Oh, uh, nice. For I don't know half a year, one year. Um, so I asked my boss, can I just build this in the workshop? And they said, yeah. And then I left. So. Yeah. And is it a, is it a Kona Sutra? I wasn't hundred percent sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 It's just like your iconic Kona touring bike. Right. So it's beautiful. A great machine. 
probably never going to break. Parts will wear out, but that's normal. But like, yeah, just heavy duty. And yeah, I'm not going to name this uh, the shitty bicycle like I did with the other one. No. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Tell us how how have you obviously your first trip? (laughs) I think I read on your Instagram. It was like. You just took the packing cubes that you had in your luggage and kind of strapped them to the bike. I'm assuming you're using real panniers and bags now. Uh, what's your yes. What's your setup like? Yeah, the, the first time it was just toiletry bags. <laughs> I think that would have been a bit of an issue, especially now during because it's hur- hurricane season. Mm. And I'm from Sweden, so I know that it can rain. But wow, it's really been <laughs> it's really been raining. Um, so right now I have four pannier be- uh, bags, and two of them are from Ortlieb, mm-hmm. and two of them are from Thol, the Swedish brand. Oh, okay. Um, but they have been holding up. They're all waterproof. Oh, that's good. And it's been very much needed here. Uh, and now you carry a tent, and you have your sleeping bag, and have all that gear as well, yeah? Yeah, it was nice, because I knew I was going to be away for such a long time. And in the beginning, my thought was actually to cycle around the world. Okay. And then uh, I started cycling. I hadn't really planned too much. And I noticed that China was still close Mm -hmm. due to restrictions. And then uh, Ukraine got attacked by uh, Russia. So I thought, okay, I don't want to head towards Asia at all. And, and Iran has big protests as well, and it's not necessarily a great place to go right now. Yeah, uh, and also I think at the time, Kazakhstan also, it wasn't the best either. Oh, okay, so that's pretty much like all so, the entry points are kind of closed off to you. Yeah, Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, North and South America. From the beginning, I thought I would... We'll cycle around the world and come from Vancouver mm-hmm. and then cycle east. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I ended up instead cycling, well, first towards Portugal. Um, and I left in November in 2022. Okay. So it was cold. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I cycled south towards Portugal. Sorry, and, we, are, uh, we are November 2022 right now. So when did you leave? <laughs> Yes. 2021? <laughs> <laughs> 2021. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've also cycled <laughs> um, <laughs> all this time during just three days or something. Yeah, you're amazing. Like, let's just be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was wow, the cycle I, trip, was the trip from uh, Sweden to Portugal, was that kind of like the shakedown ride just to test out everything make sure everything's working the way you want it to or is it just uh because you went back to sweden i believe from portugal right so was it just uh was it like a test ride um no i well i already knew that i wanted to go far mm-hmm. um but i thought Okay, it is going to be difficult to cycle through Europe during winter, mm-hmm. but everything else is going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of cities, so pretty close to each other. So if my bicycle breaks down, I'm going to be able to fix it. And most people speak English and da 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 da. 
Um, and then I, well, I, I was still enjoying it after that time, but I had to go home because I needed to renew my passport. Mm. So I went to okay. Portugal, took a bus home to Sweden, renew it, and uh, and then flew from Lisbon to uh, New York. Okay. Any crazy things happen on the bus? No, I read the post. <laughs> That's that was a weird. We, you have some weird experiences. Like that was a weird bus ride, by the sounds of things. Yes, I, I think it's uh, maybe the world telling me that I shouldn't take the bus. That's right. It's just the bicycle that is. The, the right way to travel for me. Perfect. Um, so yeah, what was it like? So what time of the year were you in the U.S. to cycle across Canada? Was it winter? Like, did you go through winter? And... Uh, well, well, I thought about just going through Canada first, uh, but I thought it would be too cold because I be came to, yeah, <laughs> and also maybe a bit lonely because mm. there's more cities closer together in the u.s For sure. um and um but i landed in new york city um in april i think oh okay yeah so winter's over it's, it's getting nicer out not yeah too or cold. i i thought so there were definitely days when i think i was out of pittsburgh and it started raining oh, that gets uh, but it was now. only like two three degrees mm -hmm. so everything got soaked and then it started snowing and I really thought I was out of winter, but it was, uh, that's uh, that's Canadian summer. Creepy. So it's a good thing you avoided our, our parts of Canada. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah, true. I shouldn't say anything about it being cold when it's two degrees and you're from Canada. Well, no, you know what? Like it gets really hot here in the summer. I think in Ottawa, it, Every every year now, it seems to get there are days where it's forty degrees outside, you know. So, um, thirty plus is quite normal in the summer. And three days ago, it was seventeen degrees outside, and today it was minus one. You know, it's okay. been really weird this year. Like it's it's the longest summer ever. It went almost till November, um, but it's been really nice and, until now. So now it's the start yeah. the start of the end the start of winter. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so what was it like to cross, uh, to cycle through USA? Um, I've heard fantastic things. I've heard the, you know, everything you hear in the media about, you know, I don't know, uh, US and like people talk about, you know, um, Democrats and Republicans. And I've heard everybody I've ever talked to has said the people you meet when you're cycling are unbelievable in, in the US. I haven't done it yet. So tell us. Yeah, I... My experience was the same. I really, really enjoyed the U.S. Um, I met so many kind people. I met also a lot of people who said, oh, you're going west? Well, I hope you have a tailwind, and then just laughed at me, as <laughs> you never do. Um, the weather in the U.S. was crazy. It would just... I think there was one day when I thought, okay, something seems wrong, and then I looked at the... Um, uh, what's it called? Well, I looked at the weather forecast mm -hmm. and there was a tornado heading my way. And oh, the geez. only reason I thought something was wrong was because I had a tailwind. I was like, there's, <laughs> I never have a tailwind. There must be something <laughs> wrong. 
but the people in the U.S. were so friendly, and uh, I, I was cycling in Pennsylvania when a guy passed me with his truck, and he asked me, "Do you know where you're staying?" I said, "Yeah, or my well, actually, do you know somewhere here I can camp?" And he was like, "Yeah, you can, uh, you can camp at me and my wife's place." Um, do you know about warm showers? And I was like, yeah, yes, I do. And warm showers is the site we use for, well, staying at other bicycle tours places. Yeah. Um, and they were both Amish. Amish. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun talking about their culture and the wife cooked and, talked about how they had cycled through the US yeah. and they had stealth camped so it was just amazing to hear their stories oh that's really cool yeah and yeah so many people who would actually hear me hear my story and then just want to support it with like with money who just handed me money and or paid food I don't know such generosity really yeah, do you th- I'm going to just throw it out there, but do you think being a girl plays into that at all? Like the people have this desire to help. They feel like the the need to, you know, protect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because nobody's uh, ever, oh, actually I've had one person give me money once and it was fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the beginning of my trip, I would, someone would offer me money and I was like, no, 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 I have too much self-respect. I don't need that and then after a while you realize how expensive the country is as well so anytime anyone would offer i'm like yes yes just (laughs) thank you yeah i desperately need it there was a guy who cycled uh, across canada in winter a few years ago his name's ari and uh he said because he did it through winter the amount of people that stopped and gave him money and gave him tim horton's cards gift cards uh like sometimes he was carrying like a couple hundred dollars worth of gift cards at a time because he just couldn't spend it fast enough. But he's like, man, you know, when you're pushing your hard days every day, that's the best feeling in the world to know that you can just kind of get a good meal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would kind of be shy in the beginning and not really want to, when people asked me where I was going and they saw me with my big bicycle and my bags and everything, I would lie and just say a shorter distance than the one I was actually doing because I was, I don't know, I didn't feel like having that conversation of the route over and over again. But then when I realized that people wanted to give me money, um, then I would uh, tell the whole route. Yeah. And was there any, like, in the fact that you weren't sharing that at the start, was it also maybe a mix of fear that if somebody knows how far you're going, that something could happen? Or was it more just the keep the story to yourself kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I think it was a fear. And I also find that sometimes people who don't understand what bicycle touring is like, they think that you're doing this extreme and very unique trip, which, yeah. which it is. Uh, but they also expect the personality to kind of match the size of that trip. And so people would just look at me with very big eyes and big ears. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just... Because <laughs> it's mostly very... There's a lot of solitude. Yeah. And it's not always as dramatic as I think people 
assume it to be. Um, so yeah, I would lie and just uh, say that I'm going to the next city or something. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, I actually had to Google um, what the difference with the Amish and Mennonites are because in Canada we have a lot of Mennonites. <laughs> And so I Googled it today, I think, or yesterday. And what I found was that Mennonites will drive cars and have electricity in their house, but typically Amish won't. But I think that that can go both ways because here in Canada, we have some really traditional Mennonites that only use horse and buggies, farm their whole farm by hand, um, yeah. you know, and they forego all this stuff. And then we have some that, you know, they'll have phones and cars and they'll... I don't know, drive, I'll use electricity and machines and yeah. stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That was something that surprised me a lot with the U S that it's, there's so much farmland. Um, cause I think at least in Sweden, when people think of the U S they think about people from California okay, and, or, or like people from New York. Right. Um, and I would, especially in Minnesota and Wisconsin, be met with a very different culture um, that was just wonderful. And uh, I, I stayed with a pastor and his wife. Oh. And they cooked food for me. And then they saw that my bicycle was broken or um, uh, the inner tube was sort of popping out of the wheel. And they said, oh, go to this bicycle store. You, you can fix it there. So I went there and wanted to pay for the wheel or the new wheel. Okay. They were like, oh, no, no, it's already been taken care of. Um, the pastor paid. It was just wonderful. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I remember um, about a year ago, my mother-in-law came from, from Iran to Canada. And, you know, every time we go somewhere, she looks and goes, oh, my God, you guys have so much water. And your farms are forever. They're just so big, you know, where... In yeah. Sweden, they tend, or sorry, in Iran, they tend to be like a, a normal size, little farms. And here they're just massive, especially in the prairies, which I think you rode through as well, right? Yeah. Um, the prairies were cool. Maybe not my best memory because it was so, so freaking windy. Yeah. I would give it my all and then just like cycle in maybe eight kilometers an hour. Um it was, I really didn't expect that headwind, mm -hmm. but, and, and I actually met another Swedish guy in Seattle and we would talk about the headwind and it was just like <laughs> some kind of depression or PTSD in our eyes, <laughs> knowing how bad it can be some days. Yeah. Well, you're um, going to get to way crazier headwinds when you get further south, right? When you get down true, towards true. Ushuaia, you'll have like. I think they're really bad. So you're well practiced yeah. now. Going through the prairies east to west, you've you've like warmed up and practiced the suffering that you'll need later. <laughs> sure. I so, will wish that I was in the prairies in uh, Canada. That's right. Yeah. Um, so when you reached Vancouver, is did you? I guess you went to Vancouver and then turned south to Seattle. What made you decide to to go south and not to fly over to Asia? Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. 
They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Um... Well, originally, I just, when I arrived in New York, I just searched on Google Maps from New York to Vancouver and then clicked on bicycle route. Uh, so I was heading towards Vancouver, but I didn't really end up going there because okay. um, okay. I'm not too interested in the cities anyway. What I wanted to see was the Rocky Mountains, uh, which I saw. It was beautiful. And then I headed down through Kelowna and then towards Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, and I don't know why I didn't go towards Asia. I guess it was the China issue. Um, and I thought it would be really cool to just do North and South America. Okay. I already had that plan. Yeah, since um, you're here, you might as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, heading south, did you take the Pacific Coast Highway or what was your route? Mm, yeah, and uh, and it was such a special moment reaching reaching the coast because um, I had been cycling for three months through just headwind. Yeah, and then reaching the coast was it was such a beauty. And I also met a lot of other cyclists there, which was really fun. Uh, so I felt like I was this lonely and weird person who was in English-speaking countries, but not really communicating to anyone. Yeah. Um, so, so going to through the coast was just amazing. Um, I stayed at like hiker biker spots i've heard about them i've heard they're fantastic yeah and it was it was great because i i had been i don't know if this is a good thing to uh, admit to but i listened to another uh girl you interviewed marielle liaoding oh yeah 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 she's from well yeah she's from north of jatterberg right yeah and she said that in the u.s she had been staying at a lot of churches and I just, I couldn't help but laugh because I wasn't staying at churches. I was trying to, kind of just sneaking around by the cemeteries mm-hmm. and trying to pitch my tents somewhere where people wouldn't see. Um, I really struggled with that in the U.S. That it was, well, we're kind of spoiled with that in Sweden that you can pitch your tent anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. Yeah, and in the U.S. it was as... The second you saw like five trees standing together, there was also a sign saying, this is private land and you can't be here. Oh, okay. So that was kind of nice by the West Coast that you could camp legally. 
and and also meet a lot of other cyclists. Yeah, I've heard there's a lot of cyclists riding the Pacific Coast, and it's just such a nice way to meet other bike tours. Yeah, and I felt bad because I I think a lot of people compare their journeys. So I mm. ended up being the person who was kind of shaming others, like, oh, you think you're going... Someone would say, oh, I'm cycling from Vancouver to Los Angeles. Where are you going? Oh, I've actually already cycled the width of America. You're like, I already crossed US with a headwind. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, okay. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Not what anyone wants to hear. Yeah. And um, yeah, so what else? Tell us some more. What what else has uh, you been doing and what have you seen? What have you experienced? Um, I, I think the best part or uh, one thing that I really liked was or the country I really liked was uh, Canada um, and seeing British Columbia is very special to get there after battling the headwind mm-hmm. and because I had been warned that the Rocky Mountains would be a challenge and the elevation is insane but then I got there and my legs were big as as the Hulk and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a blast um, I was cycling up these mountains and I saw a bear for the first time nice and then I cycled down and it was just the beautiful view of there was a river and the mountains and the forest and everything. And I got to a gas station somewhere in, yeah, somewhere in Banff, I think. Um, and a couple asked me, okay, where are you going? And I was in euphoria. I was just so happy to finally kind of be close to the coast or like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm going to Argentina and I've just cycled from New York and we talked for like five, ten minutes. And then one guy said, okay, I really want to support this trip. And he just handed me a hundred dollar bill. Whoa, nice. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or because I'm a cyclist, but it's, that was cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And then I... And after that, the coast was amazing, but it's also crazy because for me, Canada is so far, it seems like that was five years ago or something. Right. Uh, Even though it is only five months ago, um, because so much has happened. And I've been cycling through Mexico and Baja California. So I think like I was going to say is I I think the one thing after going so many thousands of kilometers across, you know, prairies and stuff or a couple thousand, when you hit those Rocky Mountains, uh, I don't know if there's a much nicer view than like you said, the valleys and the lakes, especially around Banff and Lake Louise and stuff. It's just hands down one of the nicest parts I've ever been to. Like, and I've been a lot of countries and a lot of places in the world and it's pretty amazing, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was also fun because I timed being in Banff uh, during the beginning of the race. That is, I think, it's the Great Divide. The Tour Divide, down yeah. To Mexico. yeah. Yeah. So I got there and I was like, "Oh, why am I suddenly not the girl with a bicycle, but <laughs> just one of the girls yeah, yeah. with the bicycles?" 
Um, so yeah, it was really fun because I've been watching Lyle Wilcox doing that route, mm-hmm. and it was yeah really fun to meet a lot of other cyclists doing a very different trip than I do. Yeah, for sure. Let's um, go. What was um? What's your experience been like going through, or what was your experience like going through the Baja um, Peninsula? And I'm assuming you had to stick mostly to roads because I think the sand can get pretty bad. Yeah. Um, my idea of Baja California from the beginning was that a lot of people do it, and then I met local people, and they said, "Yeah, sure, a lot of people do it, but they don't do it during the middle of." Summer. Mexican summer. Uh. Um, so I was in for some hot weather, and I'm from Sweden, and I'm not you. I do not handle heat very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was very intense, and I think I do romanticize it in my head a bit. But the heat was insane, so I knew I needed to get through it pretty quickly. So I would set my alarm clock at maybe four or five in the morning every day. Okay. And then just wake up, see the beautiful sunrise. Um, it would get up to 35, 40, 40 degrees, which I know isn't, it's actually, I met a lot of local people who said, oh, we're having a kind of cold week, <laughs> which, um, which I guess I, well, I appreciated that it wasn't hotter than that. <laughs> um, but I had been cycling for such a long time, and it's a very special memory for me because the days were so intense, and I would battle areas that it was so desolated. There would be no one but me there, wow. and I was in the middle of Mexico's desert alone, but I felt completely safe because I trusted my own ability to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And I would just look at the map, see how much I, how much water I needed to carry for that day. Uh, and it was something very simple with it as well, that it was only about getting enough water, trying to find food. Um, I didn't get there with enough cash okay and my power bank started running out of money or uh, of energy pretty fast uh, my gps that i have with me that is able to send out an sos message was not working okay um and it was just a lot of things going wrong uh, and i thought okay if if I get bitten by a snake in the middle of the night yeah, here, or a scorpion, or God knows what, yeah, there's no one knows that I'm here. Um, and there were times when I was really scared, but it was also actually it's a funny story because I was cycling there, and I think I was carrying maybe ten liters of water during the day. I couldn't even um, get my bicycle up without like standing on the wheel and kind of leaning back. So it was so heavy, but I was still doing maybe 120, 130 kilometers a day. So I, I, I've never been more fit, but I was also scared of tarantulas and the spider or like um, the rattlesnakes. Yeah. Um, so I was cycling. It was sunset and I 
was kind of scared, but I met in the middle of nowhere. I met a Canadian guy. Oh yeah. Um, and he he was such a fun character, and I, to- I talked to him, and he was very relaxed and hippie and high as a mountain <laughs> um, and he talked about how he had been driving on these roads and uh, the whole front of his car had fallen off because he had been sliding in some well I don't know where he found water but his car was completely broken and I said oh you know I'm a bit worried about the tarantulas and he was like oh honey the the tarantulas they are a blessing from the universe <laughs> okay sure (laughs) yeah sure Um, and I was also desperate for water and he had five liters of water which he just gave me which doesn't sound like it would be much but to me that was it was worth gold yeah Um, and uh, and then I just pitched my tent He, he left I pitched my tent in an ocean of cactuses um, and lay down during under the stars. Um, yeah, and I thought about how, because in the US I had met a man who told me that I should be a Christian and I don't believe in God, but he really wanted to convince me. Um, and I thought in this situation, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. I'm starting to become religious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I might not have a God watching over me, but at least I have this highest mountain hippie Canadian dude <laughs> who will reassure me that spiders are kind. Yeah, no, that's I, it. I still, I still doubt it. But That's why God put Canadians on Earth, is to reassure people that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> that is a very high way of speaking of your own country, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what was it like to reach the end of the Baja Peninsula? Because I think, like, I it's still it's one of my dreams is to get down there and ride the Baja Divide, uh, particularly the Divide. It's the the hardest possible route, I guess. Um, yeah. But to reach that end of that peninsula has got to be quite the feeling. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I, well, I, like I said, I definitely am romanticizing the memories. I think you should. cycling Baja was, it was wonderful, but it was the best parts were when you were finished with the day and actually doing it. I know because I, now I will cycle, when I cycle in Panama, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try to do a hundred kilometers today, but when I was in Baja, I would often have to divide it in my head. Be like, okay, I have 20 kilometers left. I can't do that. Maybe I can do 10. No, it doesn't feel doable. Maybe I can do five. Okay, five. Um, oh, wow. Or maybe just trying to make it up a hill or something. Yeah, it's like really um, small goals, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it was weird reaching it, but it, it was pretty nice. Um, yeah, because I was also, I remember one night that I was staying in my tent and it was so hot. I just, I didn't know what to do because I, I couldn't sleep. So I was just in my tent and I was so tired. I had probably done 120 or something. Mm-hmm. And 
I was just crying in my tent because I was I, I didn't know what to do. It was too hot. Um, so when well when I got to the mainland of Mexico, that's when rainy season started, and I thought this is gonna be great. <laughs> I'm so excited for it. Like <laughs> hit me with all the rain in the world. I I cannot handle more heat. Um, do you still feel so that way? Uh, <laughs> uh, may, maybe not completely. <laughs> I, I really didn't know that it would that the roads would basically become rivers. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I I actually I met uh, a Dutch couple mm-hmm. that were going with motorcycles, and we thought that th- this was during hurricane season, and. We were planning on staying at a hotel, but the road to a hotel that we thought about staying with, uh, at, that we didn't end up staying at, uh, the road had become a river, and there were actually crocodiles in the river. Um, and I had no idea, so I was going to cross that river. And then I was like, okay, no, we're going to end up staying. We ended up staying at another hotel. Um, but... But yeah, so maybe then I wasn't too happy about hurricane season. Wow, that's insane. And what was your route like going through the mainland of Mexico? Like, um, what were some of the states you went through and what did you love the most? Because I've heard Chiapas in the south is supposed to be really amazing. Um, Yeah. But I haven't been. Um, I, I just followed the coast and... I had been warned about certain areas, yeah. uh, like Guerrero, um, but everything seemed fine to me. Um, I really enjoyed Mexico and met a lot of, I found that local people were very welcoming yeah. and uh, would let me pitch my tent in the garden. Um, like I said before, a lot of invitation for tamales mm-hmm. and uh and it's also, there's a lot of cheaper hostels along the coast of Mexico. So that was, it was kind of nice to just recharge once in a while. Yeah. And uh, a lot of very hippie backpacking spots, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. I think people know your zodiac sign before they know your name basically hey um, i'm a taurus uh, how are you <laughs> that canadian guy could have probably yeah. told you zodiac <laughs> <laughs> yeah he had probably been along the the whole coast like it would not have surprised me at all um yeah me and me and another girl here talk about actually how um people talk so much about zodiac signs and it's almost as if it's um women's version of mansplaining okay like (laughs) i will explain what i don't care what you think you're thinking because i know your sign so i know how you are um yeah and i told her about how i had a friend of mine had told me that he was we he would have to change apartment and he didn't want to and I was like, oh, but actually you're a fish, so you will enjoy it. So, 
yeah, just uh, explaining what other people should feel like. That's yeah. wild. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so, and then you mentioned that, you know, you rode through, well, you rode through Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and to Panama, right? Or the other way is around Guatemala. Anyways, um, having done this now twice, what was that like? Um, it was definitely a, a lot nicer this time. Because um, I was so worried about everything the first time. And... Um, Maybe you've learned a little uh, more of the language think, as well, right? You probably speak a little bit more Spanish now, and you can start to. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, and also just. Um, yeah, I think I've learned how to ask people for advice as well, and just trust local people more. Okay. Um, and. I know how to, I think that comes with, you You become more and more experienced as well, uh, knowing who to trust. And I would ask a lot of women uh, or try to look for signs that women live in places, like maybe there's toys in the garden or something. And that's okay. where I will ask. No. Maybe I can pitch my tent here. Um, and uh yeah, met a lot of friendly people. Also a nice way to improve your Spanish. Yeah. I was, uh, the one one really good piece of advice I got from somebody who had traveled through the region, he said, he or she, I don't remember who it was. Anyways, they said, um, when you meet somebody and they tell you, oh, that next town you're going to, it's very dangerous and bad. You have to be careful. You should skip it. Don't go. Said so usually they're just, you know, they don't really know. They're just saying that. It's when you meet somebody that says, this town is very dangerous. You have to be careful. Then he's like, then you open your ears because when they start talking about their own town and telling you how dangerous things are or what to avoid, you should probably listen to them because that's probably more truthful and, or knowledgeable, you know, factual. Yeah. So that was a good piece of it. Yeah, most people telling horror stories have never been to the places they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And... Uh, I think that's what most people who travel learn as well. That, and I, if someone gives me advice on, or says something about that it's going to be really dangerous for me as a woman, and the person isn't a woman and hasn't been there, like, <laughs> that will just, I, I don't hear it. Yeah, um, yeah, it has to relate, right? So. Yeah, you try to find people who have done similar stuff. Um, and often the stories are very positive. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, what else? You, you're down in Panama. So Panama's a new country for you, right? You never made it to Panama mm -hmm. last time? How's that yeah. been? And uh, what's the plan moving forward? Um, it's been a lot more skyscrapers than I yeah. thought it would be. Um, it makes sense. I think... The Pan-American Highway is the longest highway in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, in the U.S., the U.S. is such a wide country that there's a lot of different roads trucks can take. But these countries are so small. So when you're on the same highway as truck drivers who have been driving for eight, nine, ten hours, 
I'm just hoping that they are sober and alert enough to see me on the road. It's been, yeah, I'm very happy that I survived cycling into Panama City. Okay. Because it was busy, uh, very, very busy. But it's also been beautiful. And, uh, yeah, especially Costa Rica. was a lot of monkeys by the road. And, oh, yeah? Uh, parrots. It was, it was cool. I was telling, uh, we had some guests over the other day with uh, their kids, and I was telling them, when I lived in Malaysia, I got shit on by a monkey while walking in the woods with my class. And it was probably one of the most disgusting, horrible experiences ever, because it stinks so bad. And I was like, oh, something stinks. And then the the guide, you know, it was a school excursion. He's like, oh, that's that's monkey shit. The monkey shit on you. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, fuck monkeys, man. I hate monkeys. (laughs) Um, it's difficult because like you're going through these countries and you kind of want to see and like you when you are cycling through Canada for example I wanted to see a bear for sure. but I was also scared to death about them yeah um, did you see any moose in Canada and uh, no I didn't no it's not too common like I haven't seen I haven't seen a single one this year and I'm out biking all the time uh yeah. last year I saw Two or three, maybe, but it's it's not too common. They're definitely more. Um, they stay further off in the woods usually, but much yeah. more dangerous than a bear. Like a bear is, chances of getting killed by a bear are very low. But if you're close to a moose, when it is a bigger chance of getting attacked, they're they're much more territorial. So, huh. but you guys have moose in Sweden too, right? So, yeah, but I think I was. Um... I almost, when I was cycling in Canada, I would stay at a couple of campgrounds. And I feel like the people there almost wanted to see bear more than I wanted to see it. Because <laughs> I would follow all the rules, like put all of my food in a bag and the makeup and utensils, everything mm-hmm. that could have some kind of smell, I would yeah. put it away. And then walk back to my tent to see how my neighbor has left out, like hamburgers and coca-cola bottles and crazy <laughs> he's in his rv so yeah it's safe different. and sound but yeah yeah where i live yeah. um i so i live like you said in quebec but it's very close to the city of ottawa and um there's a huge it's not a provincial park but it's a it's a big forest near us and so every year we have bears in our backyard because they come down out of the hills and then they come towards people's homes where there's apple trees and things. So this year there was a mom and three babies hanging out in our backyard every day for like two weeks. Yeah. And uh, the baby would be up in the tree eating apples and the mom would be just chilling on the ground, rolling around and having a nap and the kids Mm -hmm. were just eating and I'd have to scare them away so I could let the dog out and stuff. But they'd run off. They left. They they don't want to be anywhere near people. You know, they just want the food. So, did, did you say that they were black bears or black, brown bears? Black bears. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are no grizzlies in this part of Canada, so only in the mountains in the west. Okay. Um, did you ever have any accidents or major bike breakdowns on this second tour, the the with the Kona, the Kona tour? Um, I. I was hit by a car one time. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, but it was only kind of bumping into me. Mm-hmm. And the pannier ba- bags, I ended up... It, it was actually kind of a soft bump, so I didn't even fall off the bicycle. Um, 
And the but, panniers kind of took absorbed the impact. Is that the idea? Or? Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky. Yeah. Um, but I really <laughs> made sure to cycle to, to cycle with a like reflective vest after that. Um. Um, yeah. I. That, yeah. I. There could have been a lot of accidents, especially in the U.S. And I felt like a lot of drivers would be so annoyed at cyclists. It's almost as if you, even when I was st- staying far on, far away on the um, on the shoulder, they would drive into the shoulder yeah, just to make sure that you feel a bit more unsafe for no reason. It happens here too. It's really frustrating and um, yeah, very annoying. Yeah, uh, but other than that, I I've actually been safe. Uh, yeah, I, I've met some weird people, but you stay away from them, and uh, yeah, no, no real accidents. Yeah, you learn to recognize the signs for weird people, right? Like you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna go that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what about advice for women out there who are thinking about bike touring? You know, as a solo female cyclist, like you mentioned, Marielle as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and she's had her own experiences and has stuff to share. What kind of advice could you give to to encourage women to get out there and ride, and um, you know, and to and how to be safe as well? Yeah, um, I think you. Well, first of all, you should stop listening to most people, because most people will say something negative, and mm. people are naturally scared of something they don't know anything about. And most people have not cycled through North or South America. Yeah. So don't listen to them. And listen, listen to Lovisa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am speaking with wisdom. Uh, only listen to me. Um, <laughs> no, but it's actually, I also think a lot of people, this is just a general thought I've had because I've, I've thought a lot about how women are treated um, when I've cycled mm-hmm. and a lot of people will ask you oh but aren't you scared as a woman and it's something that comes up all the time and I think there's this idea in society that it would be empathetic to constantly remind women that we risk getting assaulted and we, like I'm aware that there's a risk mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think reminding me all the time is going to solve anything. Yeah. And honestly, most of the issues I faced, I faced as a human and not specifically as a woman, like crossing from crossing North America by Swiss, it was just headwind. It would have been difficult as a man as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I'm dealing with, issues but that I am dealing with just because I'm a woman but um, but it's also weird after like me too was a couple of years ago so to say that you have to cycle alone through North and South America to experience some kind of harassment or something for a woman is, is a really weird conclusion yeah so I was just thinking that is like 
to to say that not to bike to her because you might experience these things. Well, these are things that clearly women have been experiencing their whole lives, even in their home cities, countries, towns, villages, neighborhoods. So to not go and explore the world and see things because of the possibility of something happening. Well, I mean, if that was the case, you wouldn't leave your house, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I met a lot of, but don't listen to uh, me. I'm I'm a guy. (laughs) (laughs) I met one guy in the U S who, almost makes my point here because he would say oh well you're doing this alone as a woman that's just amazing and the fact that you're alone as a woman being alone and you're a woman and i was like you know it's not that different um like we we do have legs and we do have arms so we can cycle as well yeah um and i think when people paint this picture that I have to be scared to prevent someone from hurting me. It's also kind of victim blaming. Like, if you get what I mean, it's saying that I should do something to not get hurt. Yeah, it's like setting up the scenario the wrong way or something. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also aware that if something did happen, something really bad, then I think a lot of people who say I'm very brave would change that to mm-hmm. okay she was just naive and stupid and shouldn't have dot 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 yeah um yeah i um that's something that would annoy me the most when people make such a big difference between it um, you know uh to be quite honest uh, three and a half years ago before i started this podcast i might have reacted the same way that person did you know just it's like let's yeah. can we call it a place of ignorance and not really you know or or maybe it's um nurture you know it's like nurture versus nature yeah. so it's the way we're brought up to think and so probably for the longest time i would have thought well why why wow this woman is out here or this girl is out here all by herself she's so vulnerable how can she do this yeah. wow good for you but at the same time you know like i would have all these yeah. the wrong way of looking at it. now I'm like fuck yeah go for it you know like don't let anything yeah. hold you back and even um you know I have a 11 month old daughter she's turning 11 months tomorrow and somebody yeah. recently oh, asked congrats. me thank you somebody recently asked me like oh would you like to have another child you know to have a boy because you're big into cycling and I'm like honestly no I don't want a son um not that I you know uh, I have actually I have a 10 year old son in the Japan with a, an ex and that's a long different story, but I don't want another son here because, you know, once again, nurture versus nature. I feel like I've, to some degree we've been programmed to have emphasis on boys for certain things and girls for others. And I worry that as Jasmine grows up, if she had a brother here, I would be thinking, Oh, you need, come on, whatever his name would be. We're going to go biking. We're going to do this. And then she would kind of get left in the, the wayside because I would have that boy. So I'm yeah. really happy to have just a girl because I want her to be able to do all these things with me. I want to empower her. And um, I feel like if I have both of them, maybe, you know, the cultural programming that we've gone through for our whole lives would affect how I behave towards her, you know, more than if I just yeah. have her. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's something I thought no, about I recently. Yeah. And I think it's something um, that a lot of people, like it's, you have this idea in your head that it would be empathetic. Um, but then, like like you said, it's very much um, 
men are encouraged to do unique stuff. Yeah. And I think the first, when, when you're as a woman, firstly told, oh, but you should be scared, you end up not doing it. And mm -hmm. I've had this experience of the, the trip I did in 2020. But before that, if I followed all advice I was given from strangers and family friends at home, I would probably never have left Sweden. Yeah. Um, so let's ask, what did, what did your parents think about your first trip when you were in Guatemala and started cycling? And how did their viewpoints, I'm sure they've changed and morphed, and, but maybe they've been just cool with it the whole time. I don't know. What were your parents' thoughts and actions and how did they react to your desire to bike? Uh, I think I am lucky to be in a situation where I am being supported. Um, I, yeah, in the same way, a lot of people or a lot of parents are so caring for their children that they don't want them to get hurt. So mm -hmm. they end up kind of holding them back from doing whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that like me and my family went climbing before I went on that trip and it, we were just climbing indoors in Sweden and my dad said oh you're really good at this Luisa maybe you should maybe you should just do this and not go on your trip <laughs> and I was like what should I do it as a career or just stay in Sweden just climb? come here every day and climb <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was just like grasping onto any excuse to keep me in Sweden. Yeah. Um, but that might also just be selfish reasons for like not wanting his daughter to be gone so far and wanting her to be, you know, wanting <laughs> you to be close to him too. And um, I'm sure they miss you and all yeah. that too. So um, actually yeah, I'll tell you though, that. one thing I, I had having taught in Sweden for a year, I would say that one thing that I really, I'm really impressed with in Sweden that I haven't seen in any other country except for probably the other Nordic and Scandinavian countries is the way that, you know, the, um, the commune, the community organizes things so that, you know, every, every sport is accessible to a kid, you know, money is not an object like it is here in Canada where parents have to pay for you to play hockey or soccer or dance or, you know, climbing and, where in Sweden it's through the community and you have access. So I think that that's one, probably one way that, you know, boys and girls are more empowered to, to try different things where here in Canada, parents are like, Oh, I don't know, Luvisa, I don't want you to mountain bike because they're super expensive. Or if you want to play hockey, yeah. you know, it's a really expensive endeavor. Why don't you do dance? I only have to buy a, a tutu and shoes, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it too. That could be like something that's going on in Sweden that, different yeah true I, I haven't thought about that much but um we are just like camping we're very spoiled with i think <clears throat> most of my, my friends have played soccer for example when we were younger yeah. it's just something everyone do um and then a lot of people drop out when they're older but um but as a kid yeah and and it ends up being something that yeah it, it, it builds a community mm -hmm. and friendship yeah um, and i think the risk taking like um to give another story we had these uh clubs or club activities or whatever we had to do in the school and me and another teacher we started like an outdoor club so we did took the kids hiking you know i was teaching um 
grades seven and eight. Um, so and nine, but there was no nines that year. Uh, I took the kids hiking, and then we did an overnight one overnight event. And I was asking the principals, like, oh, do we need permission forms? How do you do it in Sweden? He's like, why would you need permission forms? Like, if the parents send their kids to school with bags and sleeping bags and tents, they have permission. I was like, fuck me. Like, okay. Because in Canada, everything is, like, documented, permission. Really? Oh, yeah. Everything. And then I said, so there's a lake. There's a there's a pond, lake, whatever, um, near where we're camping. But we don't have any lifeguards. So how do we make sure that the kids don't go swimming? He's like... And here, of course, me with my stupid Ikea accent. Um, he's like, why, why would you not let them go swimming? If they know how to swim, they can go swimming. <laughs> I was like, but what if yeah. they get hurt? He's like, Chris, if one kid drowns or gets hurt, everybody else will learn a lesson. I was like, whoa. Like, you know, so it was very much of a, you know, if somebody does something really stupid, everybody will learn from it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. here in Canada, that teacher would be fired. You'd be kicked out. You know, like, it just, it'd be horrible horrible experience if something happened you know like and everything's permission forms and waivers and um but in sweden it was like no no you just go have fun different it was great it was fantastic actually makes me want to go Why back didn't and stay um <clears throat> great question i didn't stay because i mentioned the the sun in japan and mm -hmm. uh just the cost of living i was trying to like make up some money to his mom and i had been a student the year before in canada and I was really tight financially and I just had to go back to Asia because I knew I could save more money. So it was a purely a financial decision, but man, I love Sweden. The biking, mountain biking was fantastic. The hiking, yeah. uh, everything it was great. Yeah. The food wasn't as good as Asia. Southeast Asia's food is way better. <laughs> yeah. I I'm okay with that. I thought you were going to say like the food wasn't good. But compared to Asia, I think most food isn't good. Yeah, yeah. There's... Um, no, I don't mind. I don't mind Swedish food. Um, but like same with Canadian mm -hmm. food in general. I'd say Canadian food and Swedish food. Like northern foods are more bland than like southeast or southern country foods, you know? So La different spices. I think we, yeah. just, uh, we just steal food from other cultures yeah. and then we make it slightly worse <laughs> and call it Swedish. Like Swedish meatballs. It's just... It's Italian food, but a bit cheaper. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, what's next? Where are you heading? Are you taking a plane or a boat to Colombia, or what's the what's the plan? What's the route? Um, I think <clears throat> I'm gonna take a boat to Colombia, mm -hmm. um, and then I well, for a while I thought about cycling to South America and I don't know why but, but I just had this over cockiness or confidence and thought I would cycle through South America and then do Africa as well back to Sweden and sure. I just realized that that would be really um, a, a too long journey oh okay so yeah I, and a part of me was like okay maybe I, I wasn't disappointed that I chose that I'm now choosing not to do it, but I thought it would be such a big adventure that I that is right like just a meter away from me, and I'm saying no to it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I then I realized that it's not really a meter away at all. It's kind of ten thousand or fifteen thousand kilometers away. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, maybe another day. But so now I think, I don't know, you, you found me through Facebook. Uh, I think I saw it was your Instagram post. Know. Maybe it was Facebook. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was yeah. Facebook through one of the one of the Facebook groups. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I said that I thought about going to Ushuaia, mm-hmm. but I would hit their winter, and, and it was kind of fun because there was one guy who replied who said, "Oh, she's from Sweden. You know, Swedish people can travel through any any wind or any cold weather and just do it with a smile on their face." And Swedish winter doesn't get. I'm no, sure was, not nearly as close. Like, especially as close in Hesselholm, it was like, I, I think there was three weeks of the year where I couldn't ride a bike, you know, like comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's four or 5,000 meters elevation in Patagonia. I'm pretty sure it gets cold. Yeah. Um, but then there was another guy who was being very negative in my opinion, uh, which made me want to do it. <laughs> Um, but I don't know if I'm going to try to get as far as possible south mm-hmm. or maybe end it in Santiago de Chile or um, maybe Buenos Aires. Yeah, I feel like uh, if I feel like if you get that far south, it's a hard one because, you know, like to go back later, it's a really long trip, which is also equals expensive. Um, yeah. But at the same time. I think winter would be incredibly difficult. Like you said, it's going to be really yeah. cold up in the mountains and stuff. And um, it's going to change everything you're carrying and you have to, you know, modify and spend a lot of money on that anyways. Yeah. So either that or you wait it out somewhere and keep pedaling around South America for an extra five, six months, which, you know, depends. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, ultimately it's your yeah. decision and you got to do your trip. Yeah. Your way. I'm thinking <clears throat> it, it's not too fun to cycle when it's too cold, mm-hmm. but then it's also, I think it would be more of an expedition in the cold weather. Um, it would be, uh, but there's also people who walk to like, I don't know. Humans are able to do insane stuff. That's true. Uh, so. and, and maybe you can find um, some sponsors through some Swedish companies, outdoor gear, and get them to sponsor you kit so you don't have to go spend all your savings on, you know, heavy-duty bike gear um, to yeah. make it through a winter. Yeah, that is a good idea. I think right now I'm just having, well, I'm cycling in kind of sporty sneakers, and uh, that will have to change. Uh, maybe... <laughs> maybe snowboard boots or something yeah will be better there's a there's a canadian company that makes like some winter fat biking gear but um but their boots are like 400 dollars, so it's it's not cheap you know ah. but they're yeah not really my budget <clears throat> i think i think just you know some comfortable boots that have movement in the ankle and you know whether doesn't matter yeah you can get okay. um yeah, I forget what we use here in Canada. There's some main brands that everybody buys, but yeah. Yeah. And maybe like two two extra sleeping bags or something? Maybe. Uh, you know, I'm getting a I'm getting a fat bike um at the end of this week. Um Yeah? Yeah, for the winter from a company. They're lending me one to try it out and do some riding and so I'll let you know how it goes because I don't have any any like winter biking gear at the moment, and I'll uh, 
I'm thinking my old army white army boots for winter because they're very uh-huh. lightweight, but they're they're still pretty warm. So I'm going to try that out. And I'll let you know how it goes. If I figure things out and tricks that work, I'll I'll send you a message and let you know how that yeah. goes. Yeah, please let me know. I just have to survive yeah. this winter first. <laughs> yeah, because I thought as well about like trying to adjust my the bicycle that I have right now and maybe putting fatter tires on. But I don't think you can go too fat um, on a touring bicycle. Yeah, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna check right now. Max tire size. Let's check. Kona Sutra. Oh, apparently you can yeah. fit up to uh, 2.25 inches, so you can still fit a pretty good size tire. Yeah. Yeah. What is that in? Do you know? In uh, millimeters, that would be 700 yes. C by. 60. Okay. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> yeah. 55 or 60. Work. I think it's 60. Yeah. That's, uh, that's 50, really 55, 60. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because I've just seen photos of other people cycling, um, n- not even in Patagonia, but some areas in the Andes and maybe Argentina and Peru. Mm-hmm. And I don't think having a fat bike is is a very bad idea there either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially if you're up in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, here it says. Oh, sorry, I just see it as well. It says 55 millimeter tires. So yeah. Okay, but that's yeah. Because I think I have 40 or 42 something. Mm-hmm. And uh, was there anything else you wanted to add about? Um, I ca- we kind of got. I don't know how it happened, but I think we, we branched off when we were talking about like advice and stuff for girls. And if I wasn't sure if you finished your thoughts there or if I just kind of diverted the whole conversation accidentally. No, I think, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if there's something I can add. Um, what yeah, are signs, what are, what are some, sorry, go ahead. No, I guess my main idea would just be that, um, it doesn't. I don't think a lot of women need to be inspired, but there's people around women, including other women, that need to uh, stop painting this picture of the world as super bad, mm-hmm. which I think can sound a bit weird because I don't want to. Um, I think it's important to speak about issues that women face as well, and sometimes, for sure, there's a lot of. Uh, I will cycle and think that the situation would have been very different if I was a guy. Um, but it's also a lot of times when I will I will meet guys who say that I am more vulnerable and I can't help but think where we're not like where we're not just on the same roads and where we're not just mm-hmm. passed by the same insane drivers. Yeah, because uh, that's really the biggest risk when you cycle. It's having just one person who looks at their phone uh, being careless. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, um, I I don't think your experience, in in my own personal opinion, which God knows what that means, um, I don't think your experience would necessarily be better had you been a guy, you know? Like, I think there are so many advantages that make the experience Mm -hmm. 
very rich as a female cyclist just because I think people feel more, you know, willing to come and approach you and talk to you and ask you about your trip where a guy, you yeah. might just be sitting in the Tim Hortons and nobody will talk to you. There may be some people, but there's, I think people are less likely to approach you and talk to you because they just think like, Oh yeah, guys are guys. And they don't, you know, it's just different. I think yeah. you're, I think you probably get much, much more real connections with the people you meet along the way than a yeah. guy might, uh, unless, you know, he's riding a recumbent, doing something very different, has a dog with him or is traveling with his kids or, um, you know, there's got to be an aspect that makes it unusual. And, and, you know, the fact that not as many women cycle to her gives that unusualness, yeah. but also leads to greater experiences in some ways, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, wait, what, what was I going to say? Um, there's, I, no one fears a woman who is alone. So when mm-hmm. I ask for help, I don't think anyone thinks, okay, maybe I can't trust her. Um, people are very helpful right away. Yeah. And especially here, I've had so many discussions or um yeah, talking to people who invite me into their home, and then they realize that I'm traveling alone through El Salvador and Honduras. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I met women who are just like, they see me as their daughter kind of for a day. And I, I met one family, or it was like three generation of women. So it was a daughter in my age, and then her mom, and then her mom. Oh, wow. Um, and they just joked about how they wanted to like <laughs> lock me in because they were so worried for me. Um, but they were also very sweet and, uh, yeah, most people have been very friendly. Have you had any, um, before we end this, I guess we're getting kind of close to that time, but have there any, have there been yeah. moments of deep loneliness where you think like, what am I doing? I should just go home or um, is this really worth it? Because I think probably most people get negative thoughts in their heads at times. What has it been like for you? Yeah, I think I left on this journey and knew that I do enjoy being by myself. Um, And it's been nice because I did meet a lot of cyclists in California especially and I would cycle for some people for two or three days and then realize that that was not really something I preferred, uh, but I do like being alone. That being said, there's definitely been, I think dealing with any issues when you are alone mm-hmm. is more difficult when you have no one to share it with. Um, and sometimes just deciding if like if you can trust a person or, or not would be nice to be able to discuss with someone else right yeah um, I yeah I think that's the reason why I'm deciding not to do Africa because I think it would be an amazing journey but and I know that there are some people who can travel for 10, 12 years and just completely enjoy it. But 
for me, I think I'm already getting kind of homesick. Yeah. Uh, but I'm too excited to go to Peru and Bolivia to like skip it. So I need to do that part. Um, but after that, I think that the taste for adventure will be out. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll do a trip in the future with someone else. Um, but I also get really annoyed at other people. Maybe you just have to really love that person. Somebody you love and (laughs) don't just like. (laughs) It's something you take for granted when you travel alone. Just the freedom of choosing whatever food and where you want to stop, when you want to take a break. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like, even in this past summer, my wife and my daughter and I, with our dog and sister-in-law as well, we did a, a 200 kilometer bike tra- tour and mm-hmm. you know it's it's challenging because it's for me as a much more experienced cyclist it's at a much much slower pace um mm-hmm. and but you know once i got past that then it became really really special you know because it was like we had a daughter who was seven months old and she was on a 200 kilometer bike tour which is really cool you know and that took the dog with me too and the dog would run and then sit in the basket behind my seat and yeah it was amazing um but just different so i had to be prepared to know that it was going to be different you know yeah so. i also am i'm very thankful for um how i've been able to see uh, i guess the culture alone Mm-hmm. I think it can be pretty different, especially if you're traveling with someone who speaks the same language as you. You end up getting kind of comfortable and not reaching out as much to mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Um, whereas now, if I feel lonely, just having a conversation with a cashier or someone at a gas station can can be very memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've heard that um, even people like approaching you, A, I mean, you're more likely to get approached because you're a girl, but as as well as traveling solo, where if you're with Mm -hmm. two or three other people or even one other person, those occurrences become less because people just assume that they're together, they're taken care of, they don't need me, they don't want to have, you know, you lose opportunities for interaction, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also... I've used warm showers so often um, and it ended up staying with so many people just because it's nice to talk to anyone. Um, and I think it would have been, or, yeah, I don't know how it's like for couples who travel alone, for example, or travel together. Um, yeah. But I like the thought that you said before that it's, um, it's it doesn't at all have to be a negative thing traveling alone as a woman. Mm-hmm. It can actually be a very beneficial thing. Yeah. Um, last question, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I formulated it in my head. It kind of makes sense. You tell me if it makes sense. Um, do you find that you know because you started at you know 18 years old or 19 years old um, bike touring type mm-hmm. thing. Do you find that this has, like, in a sense, like a a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, like, you know, completely changed you as a person? 
or is it more like an onion and peeling back the layers and just kind of like self-discovery as you go? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, hmm. I thought about it and I, I don't know if I've changed that much during this trip. I'm sure I have, but... Um, hmm. I think I have my like base personality uh, still there. I think a lot of people who travel, they want to see it as a big change. Mm -hmm. But I am a positive person from the beginning. And that's something that has really been beneficial, especially, I mean, cycling through Panama and Costa Rica is absolutely beautiful. But when you're cycling through Germany in their winter, I'm sure Germany is beautiful during the summer, but in the winter, uh, it's it's cold and a lot of misery. Um, I uh, uh, I think, yeah, maybe I've learned to laugh at myself a bit more oh. during this trip, because um, you need to have no self-respect at yeah. all. So maybe more like uh, the onion. So you've got like. Um, the ability to laugh at yourself and tenacity to really push through the hard times and um, more yeah. insight maybe ability to look at things from a different perspective right yeah and also since um, it's weird zooming out and thinking that I've done this really big journey because most of like we said before most of the goals you have is only to Okay, maybe I'll cycle 20 kilometers now, or maybe I'll try to get to that gas station where I can buy some water. And suddenly you've done a really big, unique trip yeah. that isn't really about uh, kilometers or trying to do a certain stretch or anything. It's, yeah, trying to only have fun with it. Fantastic. I, I have no more questions. Is there anything I missed that you want to talk about? Um, I think you've had a, an amazing journey and it's really cool to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I think... Oh, if, if anyone wants more tips, I don't know if I was very good at giving any, <laughs> but <laughs> in that case, you can write me, I guess. Um I'll put some yeah, links to you your, good, yeah. uh, you can do it. I will, I will tell them. Mm -hmm. I'll put some links to, uh, to, um, Instagram and Facebook if you want, and then they can message you if, if somebody has something they want to ask you. Sure. Yeah. But okay. I think that, that was it. Awesome. Uh, well, Lavisa, yeah. thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast, sharing your story. And, um, it's nice to, you know, you, it's you it typically it seems like most guests tend to be in their thirties to forties. And mm -hmm. it's not as often that you have young people or really older people and uh it's really good to get the different perspective and to to see people doing really cool things, uh, no matter what their age or you know. Yeah, true. I uh I met one person in Mexico who told me that oh when you speak you sound like Yoda from Star Wars <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was because my grammar was just awful but I will pretend to that it's 
because I just I, I speak with wisdom. That's it. I'm the wisest person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, and um, yeah, I wish you a wonderful remainder of your trip, and uh, I'll be keeping an eye on your your tracker and your Instagram posts, and I'll shoot you a message if I come down with any good winter riding tips. Yeah, that's that sounds wonderful. Okay. Good night and uh, safe riding. Bye bye. Yeah. I just want to thank Lavisa really quickly for taking the time to be on this podcast. I know it's tough when you're cycling to make time and, uh, you know, coordinate everything. And she was really, really on par. You know, we talked about a range of dates that could work. And, you know, I kept my schedule pretty flexible, although it's tough because typically I try to record podcasts after the baby's gone to bed. And at the same time, Lavisa had to... You know, make sure she was somewhere with an internet connection and um, try to keep things as sounding good as possible. And I think overall it was really, really well done. Um, You know, she was in a hostel or something and there's a little bit of background noise, but it's very minimal. And I think it worked out really, really well. So thank you, LaVisa, for sharing your adventures. And uh, hopefully, definitely, we will all uh, keep up with your progress and to see where you end up. So... That is all for now. Adios and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketouradventures.com or go to the website biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.